Hey guys, just a reminder that today something very special is happening. It is August 24th, aka the first day of our fall collective. If you are taking the BCBA, BCABA exam, and you're freaking the F out because you don't know where to start or how to remember this shit or just all things together and you're just freaking the F out once again, we've got you from start to finish. We'll cover every single item on the task list and make you love reading your Cooper book. I know it sounds like bullshit, but I swear it's magic. You've got to join to see. So we'll see you tonight at 7 p.m. Central Standard for our new collective. Love you. Mean it. Study notes, ABA, ABA and a little X rated away. It's behavior, bitches. Hey guys, it's Liat and Casey. And I feel like it's been a minute, but it is episode 63. Casey, what do you have for us for episode 63? All right, guys, it's episode 63. So 6-3, today we're talking with a military OG. 3G. I, yeah? 3G? I'm more like a 5G kind of girl, but <laughs> like, whatever. Our rhymes are, I, we told you, they're just getting worse and worse and worse. But, and I feel like if I did it, I could make them better, but I just like to put Casey out there to do it every single week because that's what you guys wait for. Anyways, today I could, tell you that we will not be talking any bullshit this episode because we know we'll be called out by our guest. Um, Our guest is someone really, really, really cool. Uh, Casey's going to give you a little bit more of a formal intro. But when I spoke to this person in the beginning, I remember picking up my phone and calling Casey and being like, holy shit, this is the coolest guest ever. This is the kind of shit we need to get into talking about on our podcast. And Sure enough, here we are. And that was actually, I think, six months ago. So we'll we'll talk about that in a little bit. But Casey. All right, Liat. Before we get into our amazing guest, who, yes, it was probably six months ago, because I remember the day, like it was yesterday that I was prescribed Zoloft and I felt like I was on drugs, which I guess it is a drug. But she called me and I remember I was like in slow motion. It was the worst day of my life. I've never taken that again. Um, so I could probably look at the prescription bottle and tell you the exact date. But anyways, um, we got to get into our review of the day because we know you guys eat that up and so do we, and we love it. And please reach out to me if we read your review, because all these names on Apple, like Beachbound94, who I'm about to read, um, all the names, do, I don't know who you are. Um, so this one is um, started out snab and now I'm here. Five stars, duh. It says, I'm studying to be a BCBA super soon, and I got the Snabba Summer Collective. Oh, girl, you were in the Summer Collective. I wonder if I can figure out who you are. I really love Liat and Casey's fantastic teaching style and decided to check out their podcast. I wasn't disappointed. Being able to apply ABA to real life is so important, and hearing them make connections is really helpful. Please keep doing what you're doing, y'all. 100% make the field of behavior analysis sexy AF, hashtag boss bitch. Well, hello, Beachbound. I love the beach, too. You know me. You always find me near the water. Thank you so much for that review. And making the field sexy AF, that is our goal. If someone's saying they're making it sexy, that's all I need. And we will keep going. Thank you for reinforcing our behavior. Seriously, when you guys leave us these reviews, we get so excited. When Casey pulled them up today, she was like, oh, my God, we have seven. How many? 719 or something, which is amazing. Yes. Let's, let's get to a thousand, guys. So if you're listening... 
and you want to help us get to a thousand, that's our new goal. Come on, baby. You got this. All right. So yes, Liat gave a, you know, a little intro into who we're talking with today. We're going to bring him on. I'm going to read like, I mean, his resume what, is at least 97 pages. pages long. So I, I will not do him justice. So it's just going to be bringing him on. But um, let me talk a little bit about who he is. So his name is Chase Hughes. He is the leading military and intelligence behavior expert. He has over 20 years, which is why I said he was an OG, um, of creating the most advanced behavior skills courses and tactics available worldwide. He's like a two-time best-selling author um, on tactical behavior skills. He is actually writing, we just learned talking to him before this, uh, some fiction books, which is amazing. I know he'll talk about that as well. Um, he's developed groundbreaking, groundbreaking world first interrogation behavior analysis tool. Guys, he knows behavior. So like, it's awesome. So welcome to the show, Chase. Thank you guys very much. I've listened to several of your episodes now. I really like them. Oh, you didn't tell me that. I was going to, I wanted a genuine response. Okay. Oh. Which like one? We're blushing. We're both <laughs> blushing. <laughs> <laughs> You guys are great. Thanks for having me on. So I'm sure we probably got hooked up with you. Like we have some of other of our awesome guests. We got to shout out Scott. It's not Scott Telema. Tilema. It's, it's Telema or Tilema. Telema. Okay. Because we got it wrong once. He'll no, tell let us know. I, I used to say Telema and then they said it was wrong. It's whatever Casey just said. Either Tilema. way, he's, he's the man. So he put us in touch with Chase and... Like Liat said, it's been a long time coming, so we're happy to have you here today. Thank you guys for having me on. Chase, did we miss anything that we should point out about you from the get-go? Because, again, your resume, like picking things on there to choose was like, oh, should we choose this or should we choose this? Or there's just so much about you. So did we miss anything that people need to know before getting into the juicy stuff today? Uh, nowadays, I teach interrogation full-time. I'm retired so I own my own company called Applied Behavior Research, and I teach interrogation, behavioral profiling, and I work as a trial consultant on occasion. But a lot of our courses cater to behavior analysis in a completely different way uh, from a clinical perspective. Which so, I think, yeah. sorry, me and Casey always, we just, we needed like a baton to pass back and forth. That's what's hard with us, like through a, a screen. Pen. Yeah. Um, but... We were asking Chase before the show, we were saying that's so cool. Like we were talking about these different things and we were, I know you were telling us that what you are doing is the kind of the opposite of a clinical, um, clinical application of behavior analysis. Give or take. Give or I take. I think it is. And it, it started out my whole life. I developed techniques to do or to create situations where people are doing stuff that are not in their best interest. And I had a therapist join one of my public courses one time before I left the military. And he said, this has so much application in therapy uh, because we're talking patients into doing things that they think are not in their best interest or that they're not normally used to doing. So he said, I'm talking to somebody with depression and I want them to start a whole new habit or a whole new way of thinking. I can use the same techniques that you use to make someone confess to a crime, to make someone change their beliefs about who they are or whether or not they eat 75 pieces of cake a day or whatever, whatever client they're dealing with for sure. Patient, I should say. Very cool. That is 
I mean, that's really interesting way to put it. Cause I mean, you're doing the same thing ultimately, I guess a lot of people we have to work on certain skills that we see as like being socially significant for the individual themselves, right? Like they're, they may not, or a lot of kids with autism we work with, let's say, they may not be interested in the skills that we're trying to get them to engage in, but we see it as being a greater benefit down the line that this individual can, you know, like indiv independently go to the bathroom themselves or, um, you know, request something, um, communicate, have some social skills with others. So that is very cool. So I want to back up. Okay. I want our listeners to get an understanding of really who you are, right? Like talk about, you know, your, where you started your military experience, how you even got into this kind of stuff. Yeah. I, uh, joined the Navy or the military when I was 17 years old and I was stationed in Hawaii and I was down in Waikiki one evening. I was 18 or 19 years old. And I was at a bar called Kelly O'Neill's, which is down in Waikiki Beach. And uh, I'm sitting in there and I asked somebody to go out on a date with me after I'd been talking to her for like an hour. And she's like, oh, no, thanks. <laughs> and I was devastated. So I went home that night and I typed into Google how to tell when girls like you. <laughs> and I printed off like a three foot stack of stuff that I could find. And. I got obsessed with reading behavior and getting really good at it because I felt like I'd missed some kind of a signal that I should have picked up on. And the more I was able to see behind the curtain, I realized that every human on earth is wearing a mask. And literally right now during COVID. Yes, literally during COVID. <laughs> But metaphorically speaking, I, yeah. I, we, we all wear a mask. And my I became completely obsessed with, I want to see behind it. I, I don't want to see just what the mask is. I want to really see what's really down in there. And I became obsessed with understanding behavior in a way that I could interpret things that no one else could see. And I got involved with well, I went to college for this, for behavioral psych, and then I got involved with hypnosis and influence and persuasion and eventually wound up starting to develop these programs for the perfect scenario being I send somebody overseas and I'm going to train them to talk someone into spying for us and, and I've got like 45 minutes to do it. And in 45 minutes, I've got to talk them into spying for the U.S. They're potentially facing the death penalty and they're maybe committing treason against their own country in the process. So we had to have a system that wasn't the crap that we see online uh, today where it's a it's a one size fits all system. Here's a persuasion technique that works most of the time on most people, but only in some situations and only if you do it exactly right. We don't have time for that. I mean, this is kind of a, we're sitting in the woods and we've got one match left to start a fire. It's got to work. It has to absolutely work. Uh, the stakes are pretty high. In some of these situations, if, if we're not doing the job that's, uh, or if I wasn't doing the, the job I was supposed to do, my head's going to get cut off on the internet. My kids are going to see it. Uh, so the stakes were high. We had to have something that worked reliably that was way beyond 
look somebody in the eye, use their name when you talk to them, make physical contact, have a firm handshake. This is like the standard old boilerplate stuff that you always see. So I wanted to find and discover where the wall was. How far can a person be pushed to do something just through a conversation? And the second part of that is how long does it take? So we're looking at an axis, like degree of compliance versus time that it takes to do it. So I had to re- I had to increase the degree of compliance and reduce the amount of time. And this goes into the linguistics, the behavioral profiling, and finally some authority stuff, which, which we may talk about here in a little bit. Uh, we definitely will talk about that. So tell me, in, in that situation, just out of interest, let's say you're finding someone, you're like, hey, I need you to go do this. Are you, like in that short of time, are you placing the demand from, or like the, the request from the get-go or you're taking time to like buddy up with this person at all, or there's no time for that. You're absolutely taking some time uh, to, to understand who you're speaking to. I developed a program called six minute x-ray and on, in this program, you can see the hidden fears, insecurities, and all the stuff behind the mask in less than six minutes guaranteed of anybody you talk to. And so I would spend some time getting to know who I'm speaking with. And in that process, we realized uh, there's so much about the person that my words need to come out of my mouth differently. They're going to respond to a different behavior, non-authoritative or authoritative. And everything about me all the way down to when I'm pointing at myself during a conversation that looks like just regular gestures all of those things are going to be very sharpened based on the profile that I get from the person that I'm talking to. Wow. When you plan what you wear and stuff, I'm sorry, Case. I'm just, you know, (laughs) know, I'll just be over here. Never mind. No, one sec. I just like love it. Will you like plan what you wear and stuff for these situations to. Yeah. If you have a profile in advance. So like if you're, here's a quick tip that you guys can take home right away. If you want to like profile someone online, So let's say we're using LinkedIn since we're all professionals here. If you go on LinkedIn, a lot of people are going to say, well, look at their profile picture. Look how they describe themselves and look what they follow. Go to the bottom of the page and look who they follow. That's not where to get information. The best place to get information is the reviews or the recommendations that they've given to others because we typically tend to give the praise that we would like to receive. So we accidentally reveal the most about ourselves when we're commenting on someone else's post or we're reviewing or recommending somebody online for something. That's really cool. That's, I mean, I guess that's kind of true. What did I compliment you on earlier, Casey? I said something about you. You're so good. I wish I could do all the reading. I wish I could do before we have shows and stuff. And then I you did. told me I was wearing mom shorts. So it was no, like I a did. backhanded compliment. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, these are my workout shorts. She's <laughs> like, you look like you're going to pick up kids from school. I'm like, well, I don't have any kids, but thanks. So one of the things that as you were talking, Chase, I was thinking for behavioral stuff that we talk about, you were talking a, a big term that we talk about is generalization. When we're teaching skills, we're, we want them to generalize to other people, other settings. Like you said, these like, uh, you know, boilerplate, whatever you call it, right? Those things like that is not going to generalize to every situation, right? It might be good in one, but not good in many. So you, it seems like you're really teaching for generalization so that they're able to go into any situation with any person any setting and have these skills. 
Yes, but the the persuasion skills that I teach are surgically kind of sharpened based on the behavioral profile that we develop. So they're all going to be different. And when I teach influence and persuasion, I liken everything to a piano. We learn to master the piano. And there's a way that I can just go on YouTube and I can learn the intro to a song. I can go out to the bar with my friends and like, oh, yeah, let me I'm just going to play this intro and then say, oh, I don't feel like playing the rest of it. Right. <laughs> and just everybody thinks you know how to play the piano. So those are like the introduction techniques. We can get a little better and a little better. And, you know, at the end, we have some mastery. But with humans, if we are sticking with this metaphor, if you sit down at a piano, every single piano, the keys are in different places. And what I'm teaching people to do is to label those keys so they can still play music. That's a great No matter analogy. where they're placed. I like that. You're teaching That's a great. Yeah, I like that a lot. So you're using these principles, but you have to individualize it for each person that you're using them with, right? Or each behavioral profile, as you refer to it as. Absolutely. There's some principles that are universal, like authority and uh, the natural human response to the presence of an authority figure. And we can really jump into that if you want. Bring us, bring yes. us to that next area, please. That is great segue. Sure. So when we talk about authority, we have a natural response just based on evolutionary psychology to anyone that our brain perceives as an authority figure. So we have a natural response to this. And on, on the light, kind of the, the diet side of this, we have like something called the crosswalk experiment, which was done in Austin, Texas. A guy in a t-shirt and jeans crosses a crosswalk when he's not supposed to. And a couple people follow him. He goes and puts on a suit and tie and they do his hair up with some really cool hair gel or whatever the hell they, they did to make him look better. He does the exact same thing, breaks the crosswalk and increases the number of people that follow him by 88%. So uh, clothing alone was enough to make people break the law. And on the far end of that, we have things like the, the Stan, Dr. Stanley Milgram experiment, which everybody who's gone through psychology 101, that's the thing we all learn about where someone was shocked in the other room. But you, one thing that, that really pissed me off growing up is I would read about these studies and I, w- I would get to the end and I'm, I'm waiting for the chapter that says, and here's 10 ways to actually use this piece of information in everyday human life with humans. Mm-hmm. And that actually doesn't exist. And people talk about these psychology studies like, wow, this happened. And that's the end of the story. <laughs> that's it. So long, everybody. So, I mean, it's, it's one thing to do a study, but it's a whole other thing to make it into a tactic or a technique. Let's, let's, let's use this and make something out of it. And in the Milgram experiment, I know we don't have a lot of time to just delve into it, but I hope like you guys can throw a link in the show notes or something to a, a cool YouTube video. Definitely. So it's like we're, te- we're talking a stranger into shocking another stranger to death in less than an hour. And almost 100% of people complied. So what makes that happen? The, the guy who was running the experiment didn't use some kind of secret influence technique. There's no kind of like mind control spray that they squirted into the air before these people went in there. There's nothing going on 
other than just a dude standing there in a lab coat telling them he had some standard lines, basic lines like it's important that you continue. The experiment requires that you continue. Please continue. Shit like that. I don't know if I can say that on the podcast, but we're called, we're called the behavior, behavior bitches. bitches. <laughs> okay. So, I mean, just basic stuff worked, but it only worked because there was a perceived presence of authority. And Wait, there's tell one me, you didn't finish the other experiment. Did, did they have like a homeless guy walk across the street or something in Austin and people didn't follow? No, it was one guy in blue jeans and t-shirt and then the same guy in a suit. Oh, okay. Okay. They measured the difference between those. So when we talk about this, we'll dissect what authority means, but there's two things that make us instantly compliant and focused on a situation. And one thing that I teach, whether you're in therapy, car sales, or you're a professional interrogator, I teach this phrase to everybody, and that is focus is currency. Focus is the currency that you will spend your influence techniques with. So we have to manufacture focus. So like the focus things, is what makes you money. Is that what you're saying? Is that what you mean by focus, focus is currency? Gets you the most results. Okay. As far as influence goes. So the two things that really ramp up, extremely ramp up your ability to influence another person are novelty and authority. So let's, let's a little open up novelty first. Let's go back like 200,000 years. So Liat is living there in her little tribe of around 120 to 175 people. And they were semi-nomadic. They'd move around little spots. They'd stay close to rivers and lakes. So Liat goes out every day and picks berries. And that's her job. And she's come. she comes home with a giant bag full of berries every day. And you pass by the same gigantic bush every day on your way back to the village. And one day you're walking past that bush and a stick snaps right behind it. All of your focus is on that stick. Even if your kid was sick and dying back in the village, that stick would take priority instantaneously. For the humans that the stick wasn't a big deal, their DNA doesn't exist anymore because they were eaten by animals. <laughs> yep. So when we have any experience that's new, it generates instantaneous, full-on focus. So what I'm talking about here are scripts. And the scripts are so powerful that they govern our lives. There's another experiment called the smoke-filled room, where a volunteer is in there with a bunch of actors. The room starts filling with smoke. The smoke detector goes off. But all the actors are told, when you see the smoke, do nothing. And the volunteers will sit in there long enough to asphyxiate and die. This happened in real life, even 1979 in England, in Manchester, there's a department store called Woolworths. It caught on fire during the day. And almost everyone got out alive. And I think 19 people died in the fire and they were all using the restaurant, which was close to the exit. They all died in the restaurant because they'd waited to pay their bill. Oh, my God. And this is the power. It's not that they made a logical choice to stay, but the power of our script, the scripts that we write in our mind. I need to understand what, how powerful scripts are and what script is the person I'm speaking to running. 
what's our script for a restaurant? We go in, we order a meal, we eat the meal, we pay for the, the meal, and we leave. They were all following a silent social script. And Which is, now, what, is what we call, for anyone listening, we call this um, rule-governed behavior. A lot of things that, like, we just – we know it as a rule. We never came into contact with the contingency ourselves. We never caught on fire ourselves, but we just know this is what you have to do. Right. And one of the one of the most powerful one of those rules of all is is do what everyone else is doing. Mm -hmm. so everyone waits in the restaurant. Everyone's waiting, and you're the only one to get up. It's a thousand times more difficult to get up and leave if other people are doing it. Those are the silent scripts or rules that are written in our mind, but. If we're running a script, if you go to a Starbucks, it's like one of those video video games when you interact with like a shopkeeper and he's like, oh, what sword would you like to buy? <laughs> and he's like, oh, that'll be 12 diamonds. Those video game players, can't you can't really interact with them beyond this shallow, I need to buy a sword and here's some rubies or diamonds or whatever. That's basically how employees are at a lot of companies now. You go to Starbucks. That barista is the same thing. It's just kind of running a program. Mm -hmm. But if you went up to a counter in Starbucks and said something the person had never heard before in their life, you have broken a script. You've created novelty, which generates immediate and profound levels of focus. That's so interesting. So novelty generates focus. And once we have focus, we demonstrate some kind of authority. And I teach a lot of stuff about authority, but as far as we go, there's a lot of things that that mean authority, and we'll get into the definition of it. But what happens with our our brain? You know, our brain evolved in three stages, I believe. Some a lot of people believe we have a reptilian brain, we have a mammalian brain, and we have the neocortex, the human part of it. The mammalian brain kind of governs everything. But it also reads body language on its own. It literally, we just, our species is, is very new at, at speaking languages. We didn't used to talk to each other ever. It was all nonverbal. That's why we're born with facial expressions. We're born with nonverbal communication. And none of us, not one human is born with language. So the last time you had a conversation with someone, even if it was doing speed dating or something, and you had this badass conversation. Their posture was great. They made great eye contact. They can really communicate well. But afterwards, something wasn't right. You had that feeling like, I don't know what it is, but something's off. So let's go back to the brain for just a second. That little mammalian part is not capable of speaking English. It has no language capability. It has the same language capability as your dog. All it can do is give you a feeling. So it witnessed all of this nonverbal communication and it can't send you a text message and tell you everything that it was looking at, but it gives you a feeling. And that's where our gut feelings come from. So when we talk about authority, if I'm trying to exude some kind of authority or I'm trying to help a patient and I'm not in the right headspace and I'm, I'm sending off these little anxiety, insecurity and fear signals, that's what I'm triggering in the other person's brain. If there's one truth, like if anybody's taking notes to this, is where you speak from, you will speak to. I love that. And a lot of what we have that's visible in conversations is cognitive dissonance is easy to spot. 
think about the last time you dressed up like a badass, super sexy dress or really sharp suit. You go out and you look like a, a million bucks, but back at home, you've got like a four foot pile of laundry that you neglected to do or your, or your sink is full of dishes. There's a part of our brain that's dedicated to reminding us that shit's not lining up. Mm. This, this doesn't match. And that comes through our nonverbal communication. And that other person's mammalian brain is seeing that. So one of the biggest things I could ever give to you is, is how we behave off camera or when nobody's looking still shows up when, no, when everyone is looking. So that shows up in our behavior, our influence to other people. Everything actually does show up. I want you to tell our listeners a couple things like that you look at in people and can tell kind of some stuff about them, whether it be, I don't know, blinking body movements. Like what are some like top things that you're able to read from somebody? Do you want me to define authority first? I yeah. think I skipped over that. Yeah. I, I that. want, I want an operational operational definition please great so an operational definition is the quality or condition or character that allows you to offer permission to others to act in ways they normally don't i'm writing down is that is that is that like wikipedia or from you that's a chase hughes definition yeah so when we have authority, there's some things in our life that we need to handle to get it done. But when we talk about the human, I have a whole big thing on this, but the human just individually, there's five personality traits or individual traits that we need to level up in ourselves. And that is confidence, discipline, self-discipline, leadership, gratitude, and enjoyment. Just the feeling of enjoying the present moment. And those are the five things that that start the process of that permission slip in the other person to behave in a different way. And one thing that I teach every one of my clients, whether they're in intelligence operations or they're in sales, you're not in the business of persuasion. You're in the business of permission. Because we're not we're not persuading anyone to do something. I'm I've reached a level in my abilities where I'm offering permission to other people to act differently instead of persuading them to do so. Wow. And when you talk about this authority, um, I, I don't know if you're going to get into this or if this is something else, but this is just me being interested in it further. Are you looking at other things that people look at such as, cause I mean, just even during COVID, I found it really interesting of, you know, we tend to look at someone with authority as someone who has a lot of times, I think, money, right? We're like, oh, that person must know what they're doing. And then like, at least COVID has been like a reality check with a lot of the things. Like, I think for a lot of people of being like, whoa, no one's immune to these certain things. Like some of these people who are killing it a day ago are, you know, struggling now or, and it kind of put everyone in like a more like leveled playing field. And I'm wondering if that's one of the things that goes into authority too. I mean, not just that, but like some things that have been become conditioned uh, such as followers or like, oh, they must be an authority if they have this many followers or money yeah. or things that are conditioned. Are those things that go into it as well? Yes, those go into authority, but they stem from something else called perceived social value. 
Okay. So that means my association with someone has the potential to raise my status in the tribe. And this little, if we're going back to Liat's little tribe <laughs> where your hut was. This is like selectionism, guys. This is uh, phylogeny in terms of like, it's all coming from survival, essentially, initial, right? Like you would go with this, whoever you perceive as strong, which would be a sense of survival and just getting like behavior nerdy going back even further. But okay, sorry, keep going what you were saying. I love what you were saying about the different authority stuff because I'm seeing that so much of it has, I, I guess, it it changes as we adapt to different time periods of where we are in the world. Like now it's like, oh, this person has Instagram followers or, oh, this could be an idiot off The Bachelor. Um, and yeah. now we must all listen to her because she has this many followers and dresses cute. <laughs> Very true. But if you think of just when, when you meet someone new, how do I can't check their Instagram right away. So what does my brain do when I meet a new person or I'm, I'm a patient, I'm going to see a therapist. How does my brain decide whether or not this is an authority person that I need to listen to or not? And I think a lot of that goes down to our nonverbal communication. And that's when we get into, you know, what you guys were talking about that there's a lot of nonverbal communication. It's really important. But if there's one, if I could just give your listeners one big one that's going to make a massive difference is to slow the hell down. If there's one thing our brains are programmed to look for is speed of movement because that indicates fear. If you think of a fearful animal like a chihuahua that are almost all naturally fearful creatures versus a Rottweiler, let's imagine two of them live in the same house. So both of them are laying, they're taking a nap on their bed and the, there's a bang in the house and they don't know what it is. What's the speed of each dog lifting their head to check it out? Chihuahua's well, going nuts. Yeah. Even the speed of the eyelids going to the closed position and then coming back up to open up. The Chihuahua's 10 times faster. So if there's one thing that fear does, it makes us move faster. And if everyone's unconsciously reading our body language anyway, we need to slow down to generate trust with other people. So the rule of thumb, if you're working with patients, especially if you're working with patients who, who you need to trust you, is never move faster than you could if you were underwater. Wow. I need to slow. I feel like this is a personal attack on me. I feel like you are personally attacking me. My brain is literally like I've already been to the moon and back 93 times during this episode. <laughs> <laughs> so what are these things you can do. You were telling us there's six things earlier or something before the podcast. There's six things or something. And one of them I was like, oh, the connected or something. Yeah. So these are the six axes of influence, according to Chase Hughes. And if you And he's level, an authoritative figure, guys. All right. I know. Just so you know, I I'm finding him very authoritative. <laughs> I'm about to do a lot of shit I've never done before. <laughs> That's after the video stop. Yeah. But if Eek, you love any of these things, you're going to get compliance from a person. So there's six things that make us become obedient. But to just get a, a base level of compliance out of somebody, and this is like you could talk them in just about anything, we only need to level up three of these. And these are vulnerability, openness, connection, suggestibility, focus, and excitement. 
And the only one that has a little asterisk caveat there is excitement. And that has to take place after the 50% mark. That's, or that typically takes place after the 50% mark in a conversation. If the conversation is a minute long, excitement starts to come around at around the 30-second mark. If it's two hours long, it comes around at the one-hour mark. That's interesting. I actually feel like when you say those things, I feel like I do a lot of that. Like I will get people very excited for things. And when you say these things, I'm like, maybe that is what I am doing. Like I could get people very excited. Okay, first, not, I'm going through this right now with Liat, how she, just like what I've seen her do to me in any type of conversation, like whether it's business or whether it's anything or new idea, definitely vulnerable. Like you like, you'll like know something going on in my life or something like that, where it's like, okay, now like I'm feeling a little vulnerable. Then you're just so open, right? You like make me feel like I can tell you anything that you can relate like that. So again, connected. Um, and then focus. I mean, I don't know about focus with you because you're just like a squirrel and I'm more of the focus one, but excitement definitely. And then suggestibility. Absolutely. Like, like what's suggestibility? You well, you're getting me to kind of like, you can't go ahead. Tell her. Suggestibility is the likelihood that a person will accept and act on a suggestion from another person. Mm -hmm. But these six things are things we want to level up in others to be influential. Yeah, I think that you're you, you do a lot of these. I literally daily. think I was meant to be an uh, like a negotiator or something. Like whenever I like have these things, I'm like, I love to do this, and I I don't even realize I'm doing it, but I'm always read. I am like reading humans, like what. But I always, I guess maybe like when you say this now, I'm like, maybe I've always wondered, I'm like, do I have a sign on my face that tells people like, tell me every dark secret you ever had. Like, tell me like that you did anal last night. Like, I need to know. <laughs> like, I'm like, we just met. And I'm like, okay, it must be because <laughs> I'm so open about stuff that people tell me everything. Yeah, that's, that's called informational altruism. So there's a reason for that. I've literally been wondering. I'm like, there's a sign that I have no idea about. Yeah, but I, I guess think that we can generate a lot of that in others by displaying similar qualities ourselves. But I think authority and novelty, of course, I teach very specific hardcore tactics to level up each one of these things in a conversation. But authority and novelty in a conversation level up all of those naturally, all six of those. So can that be like shock value in a conversation as well? Shock value is always novelty. So because probably. what I say is like, I'm like, this is crazy. Like we are teaching a science here, right? Applied behavior analysis, the information's out there, right? We cre cr like created study notes, ABA. And it's like, look, we're teaching these classes and you're not going to forget this shit because I'm about to give you an example that you never fucking forget. And then as soon as you say the F word, everyone's focused. Or as soon yeah. as you... You, you say the example about anal or something, they're all looking, right? Or like whatever it is. And you do these, and I, it's like, when you're saying this, I'm like, I'm like, we're teaching information that's out there, right? Like it's out there, but it's the novelty in the way that you explain something, I guess. Sure. And that's, I mean, if we go back to scripts, so they, uh, a person says, all right, I'm going to learn about applied behavior analysis. So they have a script that says, I'm, they're, which is what's called script borrowing. So they're borrowing from scripts of sitting in lectures, sitting in classrooms, sitting in their boring ass house, studying a boring ass book. And then someone does something that deviates from what they would expect to be the next step. 
in those borrowed scripts. So it instantly generates that novelty because it's different. It's literally our entire way we teach. It's so funny to hear this right now because people are like, I've never forgot that example about response generalization when Liat talked about wiping your ass with like a leaf or a toilet paper or a newspaper, <laughs> right? And like, same here, like when she taught me, I was like, I'm never going to forget that now because I couldn't understand the definition from the book if I read it 75,000 times until you have that like novelty where I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, that's what I'm doing. Very true. And then in your business now, focus is currency. Yeah. Thanks for coming on and telling us everything. Thanks for like, letting me know what I'm doing. <laughs> we usually behavior analyze people, but you've just totally done it to us. <laughs> Um, okay, I have one question for you. When you tell people what they what you do, what do you think the most the, the most uh, answer that you get back? Like, I know what ours is. Like, every single time someone's like, "What do you What do you do?" I'm like, "Oh, I'm a behavior analyst." Oh my god, you're analyzing my behavior right now, aren't you? Every single time I say that, like, do you have? I get, yeah, I get that a lot. Yeah, and I'm like, I don't give a shit about your behavior. I haven't even looked at you right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But yeah, okay. So similar to you, you get the same kind of. Yes. No, but his is scarier. He's like telling if you're lying, like if you're. I, I usually like if I know it's the type of person and I can spot them a hundred yards away. And if I know it's the type of person who's going to ask me those kinds of questions and get all into <laughs> it, I just say I teach psychology and they're like, oh, okay. And then yeah. that conversation's over. <laughs> <laughs> they don't care anymore. <laughs> That is like, too or funny. I can't say like, oh, I was a government mind control expert. And then I'll have like, I say that next to someone or like say that to someone next to you on an airplane and it's the whole, the whole plane ride. Oh, like, I'm sure. And you're just answering questions. Like, and I'm that person sitting next to you who would be asking every question. So like, what if you were in this scenario and this was happening or. <laughs> yeah. Even after I put my AirPods in five minutes ago. <laughs> hey, hey. That is so Liat. She does that to me. She interrogates me. There was a time she was driving me to the uh, airport from, and we went back when I could travel to Texas. And I swear to God, she must have asked me 75 million questions about my upbringing and my family. And like, so wait, what, what color car was your mom driving at the age of eight when she dropped you off at school? Like questions like that where I'm like, what? I don't fucking know. But she's so detailed where I'm like, I'm exhausted. Oh, that's <laughs> like, great. I didn't even realize I did that. No, but I do know that I'll be like, were you that kind of like, I'm trying to get a read on someone. I'm like, were you that kid who like had hot meals or your mom would bring you lunch? Like, and what yes, kind of things were, okay, okay. What kind of things were in your lunch? Were you getting, were you like getting Lunchables or were you getting like your mom was making you like actual like pasta salads and like a salad to go with it? And was the salad dressing on the salad or was it on the <laughs> side? Because it, that's annoying if it's soggy, you know? I don't know, like just my brain. I'm like, it tells you so much about someone. Also what they, you know, I, I think it's yeah. interesting. But I guess I wouldn't have that kind of time if I was dealing with what you're... you're... Well, you, you know what that also does is something that you're probably doing on accident. And that's something I teach to make someone more compliant and more open is regression. I just asked you a few questions about your childhood at the beginning of a conversation. And you know about the law of associative memory. So if I'm jamming electricity into the childhood part of your head... Mm -hmm it puts you into the mind frame of being more open and receptive and obedient to, to parents. So for instance, in, in therapy, if I want to regress a patient, 
I might have them draw a picture of their bedroom from above. What does it look like from above? Draw me like a little blueprint of it with your bed and your sheets and your curtains, get everything in there. And then 15 minutes later, I'll ask them questions about their childhood. It'll be 10 times easier to get information because I've already jammed a bunch of electricity down in that little corner. And you've like sparked that. And right. now it's like, Casey, maybe that's what I'm doing to you, literally. <laughs> I'm like, like our life. I, I really, everyone who listens to the podcast knows that I, you know, love my, you know, rest in peace, dad, love my mom. Um, she's sober now and like doing great, but I had a rough childhood. And so I swear, and sometimes I'm like, I don't want to talk about it anymore. Like, I don't know. I had no lunch. Like I had to eat out of the trash can. <laughs> Not really, but like, <laughs> like, and, and she does this to me all the time. Like, she's like, but I just want to, she'll call me randomly too and be like, ask me questions about my childhood. And I'm like, I don't even remember that. Like, I don't know. <laughs> and like, it's definitely I have a full database on my wall. If these, I mean, like I have like strings <laughs> from like item to item about like exactly what you ate, what car your mom drove, what year, if you guys had a car that year, what outfits you wore to school. Yeah. Sandwich was in a Ziploc or Saran wrap. Oh, That's way different. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. People that had Ziploc bags that actually like went together. Yeah. Like, they just flexed their wealth. Yeah. I was like, things. you're such a snob. Wait, and then it's like, did you have, not only did you have Ziplocs, did you have Ziplocs with the color? Because like it's, it's Ziploc brand if you have color. Oh, it's, wow. it's like Walmart brand if it's clear, you know? Yeah, so that's, yeah. Just figuring these things out. This is super interesting. Right, okay. I want to get back to talk real quick, but I want to talk about, so what we do in, in, in behavior analysis on our end, right, is it's always manipulating the environment, right? That is how we change behavior is by manipulating the environment. And I heard you talk about this a little bit, maybe on a podcast or whatever I, you know, before I do any podcast, I stock, stock, stock. So it was on one of the things I listened to. What do you do for manipulating the environments to when you're interrogating someone? Uh, well, manipulating the environment. Give me a quick uh, one sentence example of that. And I'll show you exactly how that applies to influence and persuasion. Okay, I'll tell you. So you manipulate the environment is, okay, if you, it could be either myself, I can make myself stick out more by like wearing something. I could put my keys in the fridge by, so I don't forget to take my lunch that day. If I want to increase the behavior of taking my lunch, I'll sleep in my workout crow, increase the likelihood I do it. If I know a kid in class talks a lot, I'll move them to sit by the teacher's desk, right? Like you're doing different things to manipulate the environment to have some effect on the behavior. And you know what all that is? Novelty. New focus. New Boom. level of focus. But... In a conversation, we have something else where we're manipulating an environment. Uh, just as a rule of thumb, what I teach people is never have televisions behind you and always minimize distractions in your background that's over your shoulder. So even in a conversation, you want to move to a place where the background behind you is as boring as possible so that you may because we need focus. It's currency. Like, aren't you trying to read Casey's board behind her? Like to like know it's her my, like it's my pregnancy planning board, if you were interested. Yeah, it says have a baby on the top. <laughs> you gotta, I will have a baby. It's literally if you don't put it out into the universe and look at that shit every day and read it 35 times, the goals don't happen. Yeah. So my husband thinks I'm completely fucking crazy, but I have a vision board, right? Yes. Over here. I, I have like so many vision boards I made, and then I just turned this into a giant vision board. <laughs> I'm, I can prove that they work. They absolutely There's work. science behind it. There really is. So, But 
All right, so let's go get back to this. Mm -hmm. We're all staring at your ovulation schedule. <laughs> I'm literally yeah. like, ovulating tomorrow. Here I am. Can you tell? <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm dying. Whew, all right. <laughs> so if you start a, a conversation with someone, you can generate some of this mm -hmm. in a different way. Like if you shook someone's hand and took a six-inch step to your left or to your right, what will their shoulders have to do? The other person's shoulders are going to have to reorient just to face you just a little bit. And later in the conversation, if you step to the side, they'll have to do it again. And if you step back, you're creating what's called a social vacuum, which makes the person feel a compulsion to step forward and fill in the vacuum in. But they're most likely to fill it in when they're talking about something they're proud of or something that they think is really cool. Because that's the moment where there's a, no matter how powerful they are, that's the tiny moment when you have a moment, you're the person that's going to say that's really awesome or wow or cool. So during their talk is when you want to do that step back. But what you're starting from the beginning, there's like 50 of these little steps, but we call this behavioral entrainment. So from the first second of a conversation, we're doing things and making them move based on our behavior. So we're creating a behavioral pattern from the first one to two seconds of the conversation. So it becomes wow. when 45 minutes elapse or 30 minutes elapse, their decision to follow you or to listen to what you're saying is, is a natural byproduct of what they've been doing the entire time. They've been following you step yeah. by step in these tiny like mirroring. Little much different. This one's just leading from the beginning. So another one that, that just capitalizes on evolutionary psychology and your listeners can do this like today. NLP. No, no, no. I just took so a random guess. Honestly, I just like took run random word. I thought you were going to. This is an eyebrow flash. So if you're listening to the podcast right now, I'm going to make Liat do this, Casey do this. Make an angry facial expression, like you're really pissed off. Okay, we're all doing the exact same thing. Our eyebrows go <laughs> down and together. We are born with this nonverbal communication. Mm -hmm. We're all the same. But all primates have this. And a way that a primate indicates that they're open and non-threatening and friendly is to do the opposite of anger. And that's called an eyebrow flash. Think about when you say, oh, hey, and your eyebrows go up when you see somebody you haven't seen in a long time. If you try this with a complete stranger and you say, oh, hey, how are you? And your eyebrows go up, 90% of people will return the eyebrow flash without ever knowing that they did it because your body is programmed to return signals of non-threatening behavior. I love that. It's like facial feedback theory also, like kind of. Like you feel a certain way when you, but then like on days when you're more depressed or something and like there's days when like, Casey knows this week, I was like, I'm emo. Please don't talk to me. Bye. <laughs> Whatever it is. Um, She's dramatic, guys, if you didn't know. <laughs> um, and then, and like, I see her on Instagram, and she's, like, doing these, like, crazy videos. And she's like, I'm bipolar. <laughs> leave me alone. I'm like, okay. Whatever. <laughs> no, but, like, it's just really interesting you say that because, you know, on days that you're so happy and then you give off this energy to other people. And most of the time I do feel like that. And like you, you, you know, you breed uh, positivity, whatever it is. And then like when things are bad, like bad, because it's literally, I do feel like the world kind of like mirrors what you are doing. 
or the energy you give off. Um, if you remember, I'm going to quote Chase Hughes, where you freaks, where you speak from, you speak to. Comma, Chase Hughes at all. <laughs> where you speak from too? No, where you freak from. Where you speak from. And as you said initially. Yes, I did say freak <laughs> from. Where you freak from, you freak too. That could be, that's, that's Casey. Casey yeah. McDaniel at all. <laughs> and I think a, a lot of that is the reticular activation system, which is a part of our brain that does all kinds of stuff, but it mostly responds to threats and social value. And it's a it's an attention flashlight. And this is kind of one of the ways that a vision board really actually works. And this is also a way that we can persuade the hell out of a person is by hijacking this particular activation system. But think of the last time you bought a new car. I have a I just bought a Ford Explorer recently. And I started driving around and living here in Virginia Beach. I'm like, man, everyone is copying me. <laughs> is that not crazy how suddenly this awareness happens yes yeah, so that's the reticular activation system our the lower part of our brain which is our focus flashlight says okay now chase hughes thinks ford explorers are really freaking important so i'm going to show you all of them so it finds them for you so if we have a viewpoint of the world a certain way if i'm looking for people to be assholes i'm going to see lots of them everywhere so if I, if I see the world in a friendly way, it's the exact same thing as when you get a new car. Your brain says, okay, Liat thinks that's important. I'm going to show her all the assholes. Or I'm going to show her all the friendly people or, you know, whatever we're Whatever your focus stuff. is. Yes. All I see is dentist office now. Now. I, like, have this new focus of dentist office, and I realize that every single shopping center has to have at least one dentist, and I never knew there was that many in them. It's, like, my new focus. I've because also been at the dentist a lot lately. I've been at the like, teeth are fabulous. Well, thank you. It's it's a baby tooth in the back that you're not seeing. <laughs> that I didn't have mine, an adult tooth under. Mine have all been knocked out. These are all plastic. What? Knocked out in interrogations? Just He's not allowed to talk about it, Casey. What do you not understand? <laughs> so let's talk about look really quick on the vision board thing. I know this is not like yeah, a no. personal growth podcast, but if we go No, back it is also. Okay. Let's go back to the mammalian brain then. It's like the, half the size of your fist. It's small, little limbic area of our brain. But that's what governs all of our focus, our decisions. You go to Best Buy and buy a flat screen TV. It's not because of a you went through all the numbers. It's an emotional choice. We just legitimize it later. Mm -hmm. If it doesn't speak English... It has to speak in images. And the more vivid we make that sensory wise, the more we can describe it. So here's the rule of thumb here. If you can't describe your goals to your dog, they're not effective. <laughs> I like that. And making your goals, you have to then have action steps, right? We talk about this all the time, your objectives. You can have this goal. Yeah. I want to have a baby, right? That's my goal. It's up there. You see it. We will have a baby, but you what are you guys doing to, to get there? What are you doing to get there, Casey? Definitely not sex. Give us details of last night. <laughs> no, <laughs> but like there's action steps, right? Like this met on this day, this, you know, diet change, this exercise change, this, um, you know, all these different things, all these variables, all these steps you have to take to get to that goal. And if you do not have clear steps to get to your goal, you have nothing. 
right? And when if you have a vision board or if your goals are so clear in your mind that you can smell what it's going to smell like, you can taste it, you can feel what the environment's going to feel like, you're, th that's not using any words at all, which means it could translate into your dog's head, which means there's, if you imagine like a saran wrap plastic barrier between your human brain and the animal brain, the only way to penetrate that barrier is with sensory rich stuff because it doesn't speak English. That's so cool. I love the sensory rich. I love sensory stuff. I'm definitely a sensory processing disorder person over here. <laughs> Let me tell you. <laughs> Anytime like the, uh, like if there's not like the clothes line up with the light, right? Um, like, you know, you get clothes and like the uh, sides. Not at all. I don't know. What? Like I'm on a like t-shirt? If this, oh God, you guys, then you clearly don't have sensory processing. <laughs> because everything has to be even and equal and oh, oh. so yeah. Anyways, um, all right. What I do also want to talk about is this big thing behind you. Our, which, our which now I know because now he's told us his tactics. I know he put it there on purpose because you have to put your attention something behind you. So tell us about it, Chase. We're really excited for Chase has written a book. And this book, both Casey and I actually, I'm going to go on Amazon right now during well, the show. What I was saying is our listeners are mostly out there studying, 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 and they're always looking for some kind of reinforcement, right? Some kind of, well, when I finish reading Cooper, I'm going to be, re get some kind of awesome, um, fiction book, right? And Chase has written a book and he was telling us about it. So just tell us, tell them a little bit about it. Cause I know they all love this kind of psychological shit too. Awesome. So I think this book, I'm kind of redefining uh, its own genre. Oh, I like that. It's a thriller. But the book involves behavioral profiling, behavior analysis, mind control, brainwashing, and hypnosis. You need an acronym for that or something. We should make one that spells something <laughs> out really funny. Yeah, if you if you give me the letters for that, I got a, a great team of students who give me the most inappropriate examples for anything you need. That's <laughs> and great. It'll be your new genre. <laughs> So anyway, so that's uh, that's that's our new book, and it's a fiction book. You know, I've I've written two other books, as Liat said in the in the beginning. Those were nonfiction, so this is our first fiction book, and I'm super excited about it. Soon to be a TV series. Soon to be. We can't talk anymore about this, guys. It's just secret. The book is called what? Phrase seven. Phrase seven. Or just type Chase Hughes into Amazon, and, and you'll see it there. I cannot wait but to read this book. We're really excited about the book coming out and the sequel should be out soon. My goal was to compete with Instagram. So I know as a writer and I know as a, as a speaker who needs to influence people, as you're reading my book, I go paragraph by paragraph and I imagine you getting an Instagram notification in the middle of every paragraph. And whether or not you're going to pick up your phone is based on how well I captured your attention. Competing contingencies, matching oh. law, guys. Behavior goes or reinforcement flows. Are you going to find Instagram more reinforcing or are you going to find Chase's book? Now I actually really want to read it with that statement because I actually am worried that I'm addicted to my phone. And I think, um, I think it's way past that. Yeah, I'm not. I'm going to just go ahead and say that, but that's fine. Um, all right. So phrase seven, I'm so excited to read it. There's so much cool shit that you do that you've done that you're continuing to do. We'll probably do another. I didn't even get into the freaking behavioral table of elements that you made. 
That throw that in the show notes. I'm throwing. Oh, Chase, you know I love show notes, so I'll have everything in the show notes. And if there's anything extra you want me to put in there, let me know. Um, but you would just, you guys, if you are nerds like me, you know, he made this entire behavioral table of elements, like the periodic table of elements, but all about behavior. And it's nuts. Um, I've already printed it out. Um, I need to go to another printer where it has color because I need color. But yeah. That's definitely something that I think would benefit a lot of your listeners with ABA. That's got all, almost every human behavior on an entire chart on one page where you can dissect it. Like even a digit flex. Okay. We're getting serious. <laughs> Is that a, a finger flex? Yes. But you only, you have lacking of those digits. So can you really I analyze like... Liat? <laughs> I know. If you have no fingertips. How do you do a digit flex? Well, you can still flex your digit with no fingertip, right? Bitch, even without the finger, I'll fucking give you the finger. Come on. <laughs> uh, all right. Any- Thanks, Jace, girl. thank you so much. This was so fun. I'm happy we made it happen. I was worried. I was about to tell you, like, oh my God, no, your book is only in Kindle. But now I found it and I've ordered it to my house to um, the actual book. Guys, I'm excited to read this. And I just p- placed my order. See that? <laughs> All right, guys, thanks for tuning in. You know where to find us. You could find us on Instagram at Behavior Bitches Podcast online behaviorbitches.com facebook behavior bitches podcast you could support us on patreon at patreon.com slash behavior bitches go leave us a five-star review if you don't want to leave us a five-star review don't leave us a review no pressure but if it's five star you better go leave us a review thank you so much chase and yeah, I had a tremendous amount of fun. It was a lot of fun. Guys. Yes, yeah, I thank think you. I have a lot more stuff. I actually would love to do another podcast in the future because this was just one of the many topics. I know we didn't even get into the the eye uh, blinking, the heart rate, the uh, breathing where you breathe from your diaphragm or your chest. Like I want you to do all of that stuff. So sure to be another episode. Chase, you're awesome. Thank you so much. Right. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having me. Guys, thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next week. Love you. Mean it. Hey guys, it's Liat and Casey. We just want to take a second to let you know that if you're thinking of being a millennial like us and starting your own podcast, there is a way. You can do your show without having to become an audio editing and production wizard. Because guess what? We don't know shit with that. But we have Alan at Pretty Easy Podcast who helped us get started he records our shows he posts them he adds awesome awesome music and cool shit when we don't even know what he's doing he sends us teaser episodes he does it all we just sit here and friggin talk we shoot the shit and you can record from home your office the park a bathroom stall at work it doesn't matter he provides the complete podcast studio all you need is a microphone and you're good Alan caters to your schedule and gives you a producer for your show at your beck and call. He has been super flexible with our schedule. Whenever we need him, we go to Google Calendar. We just book him and he does all the hard work. It's like so incredibly easy. That's why it's probably called Pretty Easy Podcast. So be heard and have some fun podcasting like us. Go to prettyeasypodcast.com today. 